1: Cowboys and Vikings all picked up hotly contested wins on Thanksgiving, and now it's time for the Pick'em Show. That's right, everybody. I'm back. I hope everyone who celebrates Thanksgiving. Had a good, enjoyable one. It was oddly disastrous. Eh, Maybe that's too strong of a word, but we had three Thanksgiving celebrations. In the first one, the oven wasn't working. In the second one, uh, everything was mostly okay. But our power went out, and we had to scramble to grab all of the Thanksgiving essentials and carry that around in a cooler bag all day. But power came back on in the evening, but by that time we had basically scrapped dinner and moved straight to a desserts only type of Thanksgiving. And there was a lot of football. There was three Thanksgiving games. My Bills played in one of them. And because I wanted to enjoy the holiday and the extra day off on Friday, we decided to go see a movie And then we forgot that we had uh, play tickets. Well, it wasn't a play. It was the Cirque Christmas special. And that was about 8, so didn't really have time to sit down and do the full Buffalo Blues episode that I normally would. So I'm going to fold that in to this episode. And we're going to do a Buffalo Blues Pick'em Show for this week and get back on track with keeping everything separate and tidy next week. Before I get into the Bills game, which I'm not gonna spend a ton of time on just because I don't want this show to be going on forever. So I will tackle the Thursday Thanksgiving triple header in reverse order, starting with the Patriots at the Vikings. After review, the result of the play is first and 15. This is a game where I didn't get to see the entirety of the game because it was dinner time. But this was a game where I also picked the Patriots to win because I needed an upset pick somewhere in the week. And, you know, the Patriots being, I think they were plus two and a half on the road going up against a team that just got their butts kicked by Dallas. I figured it was in decent opportunity for the Patriots to hang tough in that game and uh, with their defense I figured they could present enough problems to potentially slow down Minnesota just enough to get the win and you know what it was pretty close the Patriots had the lead there I think they were tied at halftime uh, 16-16 Patriots jumped out and I think took the lead in the third quarter And they started with the ball, and they jumped out and got up by 7 on that first drive. And at that point, it did look like New England was probably going to win the game. But for the second time in two weeks, we see a kick return end up having a massive impact on the momentum of the game. And after the Patriots scored that touchdown, they kicked it away, and Ken A... Guangwu ended up returning at 97 yards for the touchdown and the game was immediately tied back at 23 again. And that was kind of that was kind of the whole momentum in the game because the Patriots uh, I think they managed a field goal after that and then Minnesota tied the game and won it on a touchdown late in the game to Adam Thielen. And for the most part, Cousins played really well in this game. Like, he struggled early. Um, The Pats ended up turning the ball over on downs late in the game after the Minnesota touchdown. So nobody scored after uh, Minnesota took the lead, 33-26. They just managed to hold on to it, but the Patriots went three and out, uh, turned the ball over on downs. And, I mean, their defense hung tough, though, and gave them enough of a chance and yeah it was kind of that kicker turn but good game overall on both sides of the ball i think i i was listening to it on the radio on the way home from thanksgiving and you know mac jones threw for 380 and two touchdowns they just they didn't run the ball nearly as well or as often as i thought they were going to they threw the ball a lot in this game and they only ran it 13 times as a team, and that's really low for the Patriots who like to run the football. So, that was a little bit of a surprise. They held Minnesota's run game in check, which was not a surprise, and I think if New England could have really established that run, they might have been able to sneak one out, but didn't happen. Vikings improved to 9-2. and two. That win is ultimately good for me as a Bills fan, because it knocks the Patriots down a peg, but... Early in the week, I needed a game where I thought the underdog had a good chance, and it was a game where I knew nobody else was going to pick New England, so I was more than happy to take New England at plus two and a half, and they lose, but you know what? Not that big of a deal. So I ended up going two and three on Thanksgiving, took a chance on uh, that one game to try and get a game that nobody else would get. And uh, we'll move on to the Cowboys and the Giants. This was a game where, for some reason, the Giants were huge underdogs against the Cowboys, even though they were both 7-3 and three teams coming in, both 7-3 uh, and three against the spread coming into this game. And for a while there, you know, it looked like the Giants were ready to pull the upset. They were up 13-7 at the half. And the only touchdown at that point for Dallas had come on an Ezekiel Elliott touchdown. And, you know, thankfully I had Zeke in fantasy and his knee's okay and he's playing well. But uh, they managed to contain Pollard as as best they could. He's kind of the big play home run hitter now for Dallas out of the backfield. And, you know, it's not like he had a bad game. He had 60 rushing yards, but he didn't get involved in the passing game as much as he has recently and as I expected Cowboys did a good job held Barkley in check I think I ended up picking Dallas to cover but I don't remember off the top of my head I picked Dallas to win I knew division game was going to be close I just saw all the injuries that the Giants were dealing with and I thought it was going to be a tough uphill sled for them and they fought as hard as they could and their defense played really well and their defense is probably the reason that they were seven and three going into the game more than the offense i mean don't get me wrong the offense is solid Uh, i should have played richie james in fantasy in this one i picked him up for this reason he had five catches for 41 yards and a touchdown so dallas did what they were supposed to do they took the lead to start the third quarter uh well not to start it but they took the lead on their possession in the third quarter Got it to 14 13, scored again 21 13, and at that point, pretty much over. They add a uh, two yard touchdown run in the fourth quarter to make it 28 13, and at that point, it's just whether or not the Giants are going to cover, and that's where James gets his uh, kind of garbage time touchdown late in the game. So, you know, maybe I was right to not play him, but touchdowns are still touchdowns, and this is a game where Dallas probably should have covered in the long run, but. It says a lot that, you know, this was a game where they were favored by double digits and the Giants still came out there and fought. They didn't let this game just go because they were dealing with a bunch of injuries. So it's going to be interesting to see how the NFC East shakes out because the Giants are 0-2 to the Cowboys now. So the odds of them winning the division are pretty low and they're dealing with so many injuries that that 7-4 could get ugly pretty quick if they let some losses pile up and I like this Giants team so I want to see what they're able to do but man injuries have decimated this team again for a second year in a row and they're gonna have their work cut out for them the rest of the year but anyway moving on to the game that damn near gave me a panic attack early in the morning now it's time for my Buffalo Blues If you're a Bills fan and you're watching this game, this is a game where the Bills were favored by, not double digits, but they were favored by 8, I think, and it was a sweat, it was a big time sweat, because the Lions uh, are a good team, and I think I saw both sides, because in initially talking about this game at the very outset, I was convinced that the Lions are solid. I knew the Lions were better than they were when they were 1-7. Uh, they're a team that's dealt with a lot of injuries too, and I think the team that I saw early in the season play against Philly and just get into that kind of shootout, I was like, this is who the Lions are. Their defense isn't spectacular, but they run a good offense and they have talent. So I knew that they were better than being a basement dwelling kind of team, and I think winning three in a row helps show that, but also it's like they won three in a row and everybody's saying they're the hottest team in the league, but it's like they don't even have the longest active win streak at that point. So it's like pump the brakes a little bit on, you know, anointing the Lions as the next best thing. Uh, That's what they should have been doing at the beginning of the season when the Lions actually like were at full strength and playing well, but I digress this was not an easy game for the Bills at all. These teams traded three and outs early in the game and then the Lions scored first. So the Bills are playing catch-up, but they did defer when they won the toss, so it's pretty much to be expected and the Bills tied it in 7-7. And then the Lions fumble and that fumble was important because it allowed the Bills to get the ball, go up 14-7, And it was Ed Oliver who came in with a nice hit on this play on back-to-back plays. Uh, And I think it was Jamal Williams who fumbled on this one. But, yeah, Ed Oliver had a great game. I think this little sequence, and there was one later that kind of, like, highlighted how dangerous he was. But he came up with a big hit on a first down, then on a second down, got in the backfield, forced a fumble. uh, And then the Bills go up 14-7. So the Bills have the possession lead, and they're going to get the ball back to start uh, the second half. So that's hugely important. But the defense didn't do a particularly good job uh, overall. And the Lions score a touchdown on their next drive. They go 15 plays, 76 yards. And the Bills, uh, they just struggled with third down a lot. Uh, I'm not looking at the box score. I'm going to pull it up, though. This is a game where, let's see, the Lions had 22 total first downs and were 6 of 15 on third down, so it wasn't even like they dominated third down, but it just, there was this weird sense of not being able to get off the field. And on this drive in particular, uh, they converted one, they converted two, they converted two third downs and a fourth down, uh, So they had to go for it on 4th down in order to make sure that they got it. And they went for it on 4th and 1 as well at the goal line and got it. So those aren't 3rd down conversions. um, But they are conversions of drives. But it showed you that the Lions are going to have to go really deep into their offensive arsenal in order to compete in this game. And that's exactly what I wanted. and I was perfectly happy with that. The Bills ended up getting the ball, scoring before the half. Make it 17-14. They're going to get the ball back. That's when... It got a little hairy uh, <laughs> beyond that because the Bills come out on third down, and we've seen their struggles in the second half this uh, last month or so. November has not been kind in the second half, and they put together a nice ten-play, 65-yard drive. They run the ball with Cook a little bit to start the drive, convert a uh, third and 13, they convert uh, second and 21. Was that a penalty? No, that was just McKenzie balling out like he did the whole game. And then they get to a third and seven. They get a pass interference call, sets them up first and ten. And they go to this RPO look that they like. Uh, And they've they've run it a lot this season where they fake the handoff and then zip a pass in behind that to Diggs on like a little slant route or just kind of like a shallow post. And it gets picked. And Detroit read that play perfectly. And I don't have an issue with that being the play, really. I mean, it's worked for the Bills a lot. They, I mean, Detroit obviously knew that. I think it was a sign that it's a first and 10 at your opponent's 10-yard line. And you have the lead, and you're in the second half, and you're on a five-minute-long drive at that point in the quarter, and you don't run the ball that's the issue that I had with it. I just want them to run the ball, throw that play on second down, you know, make Detroit respect the run. Like, Singletary had a good game here. Singletary ended up with uh, 72 yards on 14 carries, so it's not like he was running the ball poorly. Uh, Cook didn't do that well overall. He had a couple runs that mattered there on the beginning of this drive, but... This was a situation where I think you'd have to at least give Singletary a chance to run the ball here and keep the defense honest. They don't. turns into yet another red zone interception, and I think that's four weeks in a row. I can't quite remember if Josh Allen threw an interception in the red zone last week. But it was either last week or definitely the week before. It's possible that it was four weeks in a row. It's also possible it's three out of the last four weeks. So regardless, that's a lot of red zone interceptions lately and second-half red zone interceptions when they don't want to run the football. So it's something that just I want to see Ken Dorsey figure out. And after that play, uh, because they got picked, they were in a decent position to force the safety at Oliver again on this play, and he started it with a tackled for a five-yard loss so Ed Oliver on this play massive again puts the Bills up 19-14 Bills getting the ball back first play they come out and they run I'm like okay Singletary gets 15 then they're at the 50 Singletary runs for three okay they're keeping the clock running then incomplete then Allen takes a sack then punt so I just wanted to see them run the ball until Detroit was able to really stop it They're up 19-14. They give the ball back to Detroit. Detroit goes down the field, uh, nine plays, 75 yards, converts a couple of third downs again. And it seemed like every time, excuse me, they were converting these third downs, they're picking on Dane Jackson. They're just finding wherever he was on the field and throwing at him and getting those conversions. And I don't know if, like, my emotional center was seeing it, but... I knew that early in the game they didn't throw at Boyer, they didn't throw it White, they always threw to Dane Jackson's side, and they were converting more often than not. But they end up driving down the field, and they get the kicker jinx from the announcer, and Badgley misses it left, so the Bills are headed towards the end of the third quarter here, up 19-14 with the ball, and Allen starts the next drive getting sacked. Why they're not running the ball there, I don't know but then they go incomplete, so the clock stops again. Then on a third and 10, they go incomplete, but get called for holding, that's declined. So fourth and 10, and basically no time has come off the clock here. I mean, the sack at the beginning counts to start the clock, but they couldn't even get out of the third quarter when they got the ball with less than two minutes left in the, in the quarter, so that was a bit frustrating because it just seems to be a time management issue down the line. For the bills in the second half that has ended up being particularly costly and it's something that i felt like they struggled with a lot last season it felt like it took them up until around thanksgiving last year to figure out that they need to manage the clock uh, more effectively and more efficiently in the second half in order to close out games where they have the lead And it just seems like that they completely forgot that lesson and they're starting from scratch here this season trying to figure out exactly how to do that. And with what they got out of the running game last week to give uh, Cook only two carries in this game, to give Hines one, was really curious. I mean, Singletary still got 14, which I'm happy with, but they end up throwing the ball... um, Allen had 42 attempts. He got sacked three times. That's 45 right there. And I don't know how many of his uh, carries were actually scrambles because I'm not doing the full deep dive on this game. But, you know, they're dangerously close to 50 pass attempts in a game where they're running the ball really effectively. So it's just this thing that can't seem to get over the hump on that. And for whatever reason, they go quick three and out here and give the ball back to detroit detroit goes down the field quickly because it was not the best punt and they took a pi call that moved the ball up uh into bill's territory uh well very deep into bill's territory after the punt return of i think 40 some odd yards so huge punt return big penalty that's already a huge gift of like 60 yards on this drive and chart comes away with the touchdown course he's on my bench this week so I don't even get to enjoy that aspect of it and they take the lead 22-19 and then the Bills get the ball back give the ball to Singletary on first Allen scrambles Allen completes they convert a third down they get into a first and ten situation uh at midfield-ish they don't run the ball again it's incomplete dead clock incomplete again incomplete again they're punting and no time has come off From 10.53 to 10.41, they took off 12 seconds in four plays, so not what I want to see there. Fortunately, the defense played well. Well, it played well enough to give the Bills a chance to win, and the Bills ended up getting the ball back, going 14 plays, 90 yards, converting uh, zero third downs on the drive, which was interesting. They ended up just moving the ball so efficiently on this one drive. They take the lead on the Diggs touchdown, and give the ball back to detroit detroit goes down the field ties the game and they ended up kicking the 51 yarder with 23 seconds left and so the bills have 23 seconds and i think all three of their timeouts heading into their final possession so it it was a great example of the bills actually being able to win a game like this because Allen hits digs to start the drive for 36 yards they get past midfield They're basically the Detroit 40, so like really long field goal range for Bass. Uh, Allen takes a little short run for three yards and then another one for nine. So he had a couple run designed runs here at the end to set them up for short yardage to gain a little bit and to call the timeout. And they bring on Bass for a 45 yarder and he nails it and they win 28-25. So my goodness. It was a crazy end to that game, and the power in our house went off right before uh, the last couple drives of this game. And so, uh, a friend of mine, Mr. Ryan Guido, up in Canada, he's giving me play-by-play as I'm using cellular data on Twitter, trying to get my DirecTV feed to work on my phone. And I eventually get there, but I'm behind, and I I saw the end of it. So, fortunately. <laughs> The Bills were able to pull this one out, but I think credit to the Lions for being a lot better than their uh, three, four, their four and six record suggested at the time, and credit to the Bills for getting the W in a game that was contentious for them, in a game where they didn't necessarily play a fantastic game. They didn't play a bad one. They were 7 of 12 on third down, which is good. Um... They ended up with 74 total plays, so they had more plays than the Lions, they had more yards. Same amount of drives, better yards per play, more passing yards, more rushing yards, Uh, also more penalties. They had a lot of procedural penalties early in this game again, like an offsides, uh, an encroachment penalty as well. Uh, They only turned the ball over once here on that one interception, but just an ugly trend of throwing interceptions uh, in the red zone. and you know, like I said, I will take what I can get, but was only 24 of 42, it's not like he had a great day passing, and they ran for 164 yards, and 78 of that was his, so, again, I'm happy for that, and it was really Isaiah McKenzie who stepped up in the receiving game, he only ended up with 6 catches, but he had 10 targets, he had a touchdown, big touchdown, uh, had some big conversions, some big gainers, he had a long of 30, which was massive in this game, uh, Diggs did what he always does, brought in 8 for 77 and a touchdown. And it just looks like, I don't know what's going on with Gabe Davis, but he's supposed to be a guy that's getting more targets in this offense, but he's not. Uh, he's averaging maybe 5, 6 targets a game, and if he doesn't score a touchdown, he's going to have a day like this where he goes 4 for 38. And it, I don't remember him having, like, a key drop in this game. He made some big plays in this game, uh, had a long of 16, Knox was not really involved he had two catches for uh 17 yards but one of them was a, a fantastic throw and catch along the sideline late in the game to move the sticks Cook not really involved in the passing game nor was Singletary they combined for three catches for 22 yards so not not fantastic there um on on the other side I'm in Ross St. Brown at nine for 122 on 10 targets they were they were finding him and they were finding Dane Jackson and they were going after it, uh, and Dane ended up, you know, having a lot of tackles because he was heavily involved. Had a pass defense. Matt Milano, seven tackles, pass defense, quarterback hit. Daquan Jones, Ed Oliver, had a nice day in the middle. Basically shut down uh, the Lions' run game for the most part. Kept them under 100 yards. Forced Jared Goff to try to beat them, which is what I wanted to see in this particular matchup do exactly what you did to cleveland take away their run game force their quarterback to throw against your defense and trust your defense and jordan poyer came back had 10 tackles eight solo uh aj klein who was filling in for an injured Tremaine edmonds nine tackles six solo tackle for a loss and you look at their tackles for loss the bills didn't get to the quarterback a ton they only had two sacks but they had seven tfls uh They had two pass defense technically, which is really low for this defense. And especially because Goff threw the ball 37 times, they only had two passes defended on the books, and they had 10 quarterback hits. So, I don't know. The Lions at one point were the number one offense in the league. They were a team that averaged more than 25 points. So, they're a team that scored 31, I think, in their last two games. So, I guess holding this offense below 30 points while your defense was injured, uh says a lot. I mean, the Bills' defense isn't bad. They have playmakers. I think they have been unable to play as one cohesive unit for the vast majority of the season, and it has showed. I think the Klein signing was huge because he can step in and play middle linebacker in a way that Dotson just doesn't have the experience to play yet, and I just saw today that the Bills have re-signed John Smoke Brown to the practice squad, and I'm super excited for that. Uh, I wanted John Brown back last season when the Bills uh, got into the lull of things. I wanted him this offseason after Cole Beasley left. I just, John Brown is a guy who knows the offense, who put up a thousand yards receiving in this system, and then somehow just never caught on anywhere else. And he was a free agent, and I knew he would be cheap because he was a cap casualty. That's the only reason he left the Bills in the first place is because the Bills need a cap room, and his contract at the time was going to be a little bit too big for them. So he had to get cut, and he's just kind of been floating around ever since. And so I was really happy to see him get re-signed to the practice squad. I don't know that he's going to, like, jump into the rotation because the Bills aren't um, injured at receiver, but if they're looking for a guy to play slot snaps and uh, get those kind of Cole Beasley-type, uh, routes John Brown's a guy who's capable he's capable of playing the outside he's capable of running the number one routes um, so it'll be interesting to see what he looks like having spent some time elsewhere but I'm really glad that he's back and I'm glad that the Bills were able to escape with a win because it was going to set the whole day off on a weird uh, tangent if that didn't happen but the power did go out Uh, the oven went out elsewhere and it was kind of a weird thanksgiving anyway so i don't know there's just something in the air i don't know if it was a full moon or what but all of these games on thanksgiving were close if your team won be thankful for it and uh we'll move on two minutes to win it okay so first up we got the what is it the bucks at the browns bucks are five and five two and two on the road browns are three and seven Two and three at home. Bucks coming off their bye week, uh, off of back-to-back wins. I think for the first time in the year, that's kind of crazy to think. I think maybe they won the first two and then and things got a little messy from there. But the Bucks are not 100% healthy coming out of this. They'll still be without Fournette. They're going to be without Russell Gage. They are going to be without their left guard Luke Gaudet. And the Browns are pretty healthy. They're just missing Greg Newsom. So. I can see why this is kind of a coin toss game. Uh, The Bucks are still favored by three on the road, over under a 42, so I I can understand it, but at the same time, if the Bucks play right, and if they use their bye week properly to just get their ish together, then they have the better defense. It's gonna be whether or not they can score And you would hope that they used that bye week well. Uh, The Browns didn't look awesome in their game against the Bills. Uh, I think that was before the bye week. No, that was last week. Sorry. Um, They didn't look great. They ended up covering the spread. But a lot of that happened in garbage time. They were down 18, I think, heading into the fourth quarter or somewhere late in the third. So... It's not exactly uh, the best situation for the Browns right now but they're gonna they're gonna have a chance because they got a run game uh, they've got Amari Cooper who's played well and they've got a defense that can cause some issues for Tom if he's not ready but it's oh man it's so hard for me to take the Browns in this game so you know what I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna take the bucks uh, I'll take them to cover the three points. On the road, and what is the over-under on that game? It is uh, 42. Uh, we'll say over. The Browns have a tendency to give up a lot of points and they can score, so we'll say we'll say over 42. Reds picks. Rids loves her home team. She has taken the Browns. Okay, next up we have the Bengals at the Titans Bengals are six and four three and three on the road Titans are seven and three and they're three and one at home and with this I would typically probably pick the Bengals but that is a considerably taller task considering that Joe Mixon is out for this game and the odds of Jamar Chase being back are low and I mean the Titans they're missing Randy Bullock So if it comes down to a field goal, that could be problematic. They're also going to be without uh, Danico Autry. So they're maybe arguably their best D-end outside. Well, Jeffrey Simmons is there too. So it's it's not ideal for them. Uh, But they're going to still bring a pretty good defense into this game. Bud Dupree is playing, um, and it looks like... Someone, uh, Amani Hooker, I think, who was out in the last game, was playing as well. So they got some weaponry back. And let's not kid ourselves that this is still a Derrick Henry team. And you got to be thinking that the Titans, who are one-point underdogs at home, have been wanting this game back since last season, uh, at least since the playoffs last season in a game where They sacked Joe Burrow like nine times or something crazy like that, and they still found a way to lose that game because of uh, Ryan Tannehill making some bad mistakes. I think they're going to find a way to avoid those mistakes this time around, and they're still going to be able to expose some of the issues with the Bengals' pass protections, especially without Mixon and Jamar Chase keeping the defense honest. So I will take the Titans by... I don't know how many, but they'll cover the one point and I'll take the over on 42 and a half. I don't know. It was under last time. We'll say under, actually. So Titans to win and cover uh, under 42 and a half. Rid's picks. Ridley is going to take the Titans as well. So next up, we've got the 1-8-1 and one Texans who are 1-4 on the road. Heading to Miami to take on the Dolphins, who are seven and three, four and one at home. Looks like Raheem Mostert is going to probably miss this one, and uh, looks like Teddy Bridgewater is questionable too. They're coming off the buy. Derek Stingley Jr. out for the Texans, and realistically, it would be hilarious to me if Miami lost this game, and it would be super helpful because they will, with a win, they will retake. Uh, their share of first place with a tiebreaker in the AFC East. So I obviously want the Dolphins to lose, but realistically, uh, the Texans are terrible. So there's no way the Texans should win this. Uh, The Dolphins are favored by 14, and with the way they light up the scoreboard, they're going to have a good chance to stick with that. I think even with Mostert out, Jeff Wilson Jr. is a nice backup piece to have who can play similarly but the Dolphins you know they're averaging 400 yards of offense which is a hundred more than the Texans and they give up less they score more you know their defense is bad so they give up some points too but I could easily see this game getting into uh, we'll say over 47 and just have fun with it because maybe the Texans find a way to score against one of uh, the lower ranking defenses in the league but the Dolphins are going to put up some points here. Uh, you know, Tyreek Hill already has 1,100 yards this season. That's not great for the Texans. Um, so, Dolphins, I think 14 is huge in the NFL, but I'm still going to take the Dolphins anyway at minus 14. They're going to go over 47, and we'll move along. Rid's picks. Ridley will also take the Dolphins. Next up, we have the. Bears three and eight on the road at the Jets six and four. Bears are one and five on the road. Jets are two and three at home and realistically this is gonna come down to uh, Justin Fields because he's got a left shoulder injury that's not good and to see them only as plus seven underdogs here is a little bit surprising. Uh, the Jets have been a solid team all season long. But the fact that Zach Wilson is getting benched for them is, you know, frightening. Uh, it just says that they really don't have confidence in him because they've been winning with him, that quarterback. Uh, and they're not even going to Joe Flacco, who led them at the beginning of the season. They're moving to Mike White. So uh, I don't know what's going on with the Jets. Um, I can see why they're favored by seven, but uh, it's it's a pickle, Definitely. Uh, if Justin Fields plays, I would be comfortable taking the Bears to win this game. But with him not playing, and they're going to go to Trevor Simeon, who, you know, he's played in some good spots here and there. He's had good moments. Um, and then they got Nathan Peterman behind that, so that's not great. Uh, with Khalil Herbert out, it's kind of a one horse rodeo with David Montgomery in the backfield. And. They're missing Jaquan Brisker and Kyler Gordon in the secondary. Uh, The Jets are mostly pretty healthy, and they're coming off a kind of a clunker against a Patriots team that just kind of owns them. And I don't know. The Jets have just been the better team all season. And I think it's too much of a question mark to figure out uh, who the Bears are going to be with Simeon under center. So I got to go with the Jets here. And I will take the Jets to cover as well. Never mind. I actually want to take the Bears at plus 7. Rids picks. Rids goes Jets. Next up, we have the 5 and 6 Falcons on the road, where they are 1 and 4, taking on the 6 and 5 Commanders, who are 2 and 3 at home. Commanders are uh, hot lately. They've won 4 out of their last 5, whereas the Falcons have lost 3 out of their last 5. And the Falcons are in a current stretch of losing when I pick them to win and winning when I pick them to lose. And this is something that they've annoyed me with many times over the last few years, picking games. And I don't see any crazy injuries that would push me either direction. So what I'm looking at is how the Washington defense has performed as of late, Uh, versus how the Falcons defense has performed as of late and Washington I think they're just going to be able to give Mariota a little bit more of a headache Um, they put up more yardage on offense they allow about 70 fewer yards per game they don't score quite as much but uh, that has changed a little bit lately as they've put up 23 32 17 17 and 23 which for the most part um that will average out to more than what their current season average was. So they're, they're scoring points. They're winning games with Heineke in there. And I don't know that Atlanta's got the kind of defense that can really make Heineke uh, pay for certain types of mistakes that he makes. And uh, I just it's hard for me to pick against Washington right now. Their biggest out is uh, Benjamin St. Juiced in the secondary. Chase Young is questionable, so if he plays, that helps them a lot. They've been playing without him for the majority of the season. And considering they are only four-point favorites at home, I will take the Commanders, which means the Falcons are probably going to win. But I'll take the Commanders to win, to cover, and we're going to say over 40 and a half in this game. Rids picks. Rids is going to take the Commanders as well. Next up, we have... The uh, meandering 3-7 Broncos who are 1-4 on the road heading to Carolina to take on the 3-8 Panthers who are 3-3 at home. Looks like the Panthers are making a quarterback switch and it's going to be Sam Darnold taking over for Baker Mayfield. They will be most likely without... uh, Terrence Marshall, Ian Thomas, both questionable. Matt Ioannidis is out. Corey Littleton is out in the middle of the defense. Um, And that's pretty much it in terms of key injuries. I mean, P.J. Walker is doubtful, so he's not playing for sure. But then in Denver, they don't have the luxury of making a quarterback switch. And uh, Jerry Judy, K.J. Hamler are both out. Andrew Beck is out. So it's probably going to be running back by committee. And then... And hopefully Cortland Sutton try to win this game with defense if you are the Broncos. But they don't score, so it's going to be tough. I can see why you would favor them in this game. Uh, They still manage more total yards than the Panthers somehow. And we have seen how bad the Broncos are. And it's crazy to think that their defense has actually uh, been carrying them to... Even be competitive in any of these games with, you know, Russell Wilson making the kind of money that he makes, but their defense is better than Carolina's. They are better against the pass, they're better against the run, uh, their offense is better uh, overall. The offensive rushing is pretty comparable. And with Sam Darnold out there, it's tough to say what this Carolina team is going to look like. So the Broncos are another one of those teams that every time I pick them, they lose, and vice versa. So this is a game where I think I have to take. Denver and I'm going to end up regretting it but we'll take Denver minus one on the road and uh, I have to go under 36
0: Rids picks
1: Rids is rocking with Sam Darnold and the Panthers next up we have the 7-3 Ravens who are 4-1 on the road going to Jacksonville to take on the 3-7 Jags who are 2-3 at home And this is a game where the Ravens should really win this game. I mean, there are some concerns because Gus Edwards is questionable. Devin Duvernay is questionable. Demarcus Robinson questionable. Isaiah Likely's out, but they get Mark Andrews back. Ronnie Staley's out on the offensive line. So that's not ideal for the Ravens. And Jacksonville is basically uh, healthy at all their key positions. But even with them trying to retool their defense a little bit and make things simpler for themselves this is still a pretty good Ravens team uh and Lamar Jackson's still going to be the best player on the field but I think that gap is going to be closed a little bit now that Etienne has really taken over as the lead back in Jacksonville I mean he's got 700 yards to this point in the season and he was not the starter for much of it uh so and he's doing it at 131 carries so he's averaging like six yards a carry something crazy and that's not what you want to see if you're Baltimore. But at the same time, Baltimore retooled their own defense. They look a lot better with Roquan Smith in the middle of that defense. Uh, it's just Jacksonville's a hard place to play. Jacksonville usually scores somewhere in the 17 to 20 neighborhood. And the Ravens are not too far beyond that, averaging about 24 a game. So I could see this being a close one. And the Jags hanging tough. I mean, at this point, they're playing for a draft pick, but uh, they're not quite in the, the tank mode that they were last season. I think it's going to be a fight. I think the Jags keep it close. I will take the Ravens to win. But I actually like the Jags to cover the 3.5 in what's going to be a, a kind of an awkward game, and we'll say over 43. Rids picks. Rids likes the Jags at home. Okay, next up, the Chargers are on the road uh, where they are 3-2. and two. At visiting the Cardinals in Arizona, who are 4-7, but 1-5 at home, and I'm definitely leaning Chargers here. I see ESPN has Arizona as 63% favorites, and I'm not sure why, because the Chargers are actually favored by 2.5, so for some reason, ESPN's index is leaning the other way, but when I look at the Chargers, this is a team that, in recent weeks, has played really close games with Kansas City and San Francisco, who Kansas City's the, you know, number one seed in the AFC right now, I think. Uh, San Francisco is surging, and they're one of the best teams in the NFC right now. They ultimately got blown out by Seattle, but, uh, you know, that was a surprise for them. But you look across the board, and Arizona also lost to San Francisco, but brutally in comparison to how the game uh, against the Chargers went down. And they lost by double digits to Seattle as well. So just looking at common opponents in the last five weeks— I would definitely say the Chargers have performed better against uh, a little bit higher in the food chain competition. However, it looks like Kyler Murray is going to be back for this game. And it looks like Mike Williams is still out for the Chargers along with year Adderley at safety. And it looks like Marquise Brown will actually return for the Chargers this week as well. But it did look like they lost uh, Greg Dortch and Rondale Moore last week. So, you know, you get a couple, you lose a couple. It's tough to tell who this Cardinals team is. They should theoretically uh, have some pretty good weapons with Hopkins and Brown back. But losing Zach Ertz from that rotation hurt them a lot. Uh, Connor, is he going to be able to run the ball against a Chargers run defense that Uh, is pretty bad, but sometimes they step up and play really well. It's tough to say, Um, but I think I have to go Chargers here just based on recent quality of competition and uh, comparative competition. But I will say Chargers, minus 2.5, and and we'll have fun and take the over at 48.5. Reds picks. Reds is going Cardinals. Next up, we have the Loathsome uh, three and seven Raiders on the road where they are one and five going to Seattle to take on the six and four Seahawks. Uh, the Seahawks are three and one at home. and it's always hard to win there. And my instincts obviously want to pick against the Raiders because they've screwed me so many times this season and Josh Jacobs is questionable, Hunter Renfro's on IR. So it's tough to say, what Raiders team is going to actually show up here knowing my luck it'll be the Raiders that find a way to win this game but Darren Waller is also on IR the Seahawks are coming off their bye week and they are mostly healthy and I think uh, the loss on the road in Germany was a good lesson for them there's really no reason that the Raiders should win this game other than they are 3-7, and seven and they still think there's uh, some outside chance of them making the playoffs, and they're just looking to mess up my bet. Um, so I will take the Seahawks, minus 4 against a poor Raiders defense. Uh, Seahawks give up a lot of points, too, and a lot of yardage. So this game is going to be a shootout. I think it could come down to a field goal. Um, so I'll take the Raiders to cover the 4. And I'll take the over at 47, but Seattle to win. Rids picks. Rids is rolling with the Hawks. How many games do we got left here? We got three left. All right, let's get to it. We've got the Kansas City Chiefs hosting the Rams. And uh, the Rams are 3-7. and seven. Looks like Stafford's probably not going to play with his concussion issues. They're 1-3 and three on the road against a Chiefs team that is 8-2 and 4-1. and, four and one. At home, they're only lost to the Bills. And the depth chart for the Rams ain't looking good at all. Looks like three of their five offensive linemen are probably uh, out or worse, or excuse me, um, questionable or worse in this game. Allen Robinson is questionable. Stafford's out. Higby questionable. Um, and it looks like a game that they're kind of just, like, content to lose here. And you look at the Chiefs and Kadarius Tony is out, but big surprise there. That was, you know, his knock when he was part of the uh, Giants to begin with. But uh, Nicole Hardman's on IR, Clyde Edwards-Alaire on IR as well. They're still the Chiefs, though. They still got Travis Kelsey. They still got Patrick Mahomes. Uh, Isaiah Pacheco's playing well. They still have McKinnon uh, in a decent pass-catching role for them. They still have Juju, who's had a fairly good season, and they still have the better defense here between these teams. Uh, the Rams just have not been who they are uh, or who they were last season. And this is a 15 and a half point spread, and I can see why. Money line is plus 800 for the Rams, minus 1400 for the Chiefs. Over under of 42. Um, I'm going to take the over here, and I'll take the Chiefs. Uh, just for shits and giggles, I'll take them to cover 15 and a half to see what kind of crazy madness that is. Rids picks. Rids will be taking the Chiefs as well. Okay, we got the Saints on the road at the San Francisco 49ers. Saints 4 and 7 on the season, 1 and 3 on the road. Niners are 6 and four. Three wins, 1 loss at home. And they're the better team here. Um... They score more they give up about a touchdown less they're better in yards per game and they're better in yards allowed plus they shut down the run so that defensive front is going to pose some problems I think them being nine point favorites is the one thing that I will be curious to see if that holds up because the Saints when they play well like they can score like they still have Kamara like Olave's been a great addition for them he's now the wide receiver one there Jarvis Landry's back. Uh, Rashid Shaheed has shown burst uh, and made some big plays. Jawan Johnson has been a very welcome surprise at tight end, who's kind of just taken Taysom Hill out of that role altogether. And Andy Dalton is a capable quarterback. I mean, sometimes they really get dunked on and he plays horribly, and then sometimes he comes out, throws a three-touchdown game, and looks great. So it, the Niners are a hard team to do that against, and... I think that, you know, if the Saints are playing from behind, it probably bodes well for receivers and um, their fantasy stats. Thank you, while I brain fart. Um, But I don't think the Saints are a good enough team to beat the 49ers overall. I think even if the Saints play their game the Niners are still going to be around. And I think if it goes vice versa, the Niners play their game and the Saints, like, struggle a little bit, it's going to be a blowout. So I'll take the Niners to win, but I'll take the Saints to cover the nine, and we'll go with over 43 points. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Niners, and we have arrived now at the last game of the week as the 4-7 and 7 Packers travel to the 9-1 and 1 Eagles. The Packers are... One and four on the road. The Eagles are four and one at home. And oh god, there's no way the Packers should compete in this game, which means they're going to, and it's going to be super annoying for me. And they're going to threaten to win this game. And if the Eagles don't play right, the Packers can beat them. And uh I know it's going to be one of those games where I pick the Eagles and the freaking Packers win. Um, but they're going to be without uh, Romeo Dobbs. Uh, David Bakhtiari is questionable. But what else is new? Uh, Devondre Campbell is doubtful on defense for them, and the Eagles are pretty healthy. So, if the Eagles can just play their game, they probably win this game in a blowout. But losing Dallas Goddard to IR was a problem. It has stalled their offense a little bit over the past couple of weeks. Uh, they're usually a team that basically puts up 30. And in the last two weeks against Washington, they scored 21, and they scored 17 in their win against Indy. So not having Goddard in the lineup is a big deal. And Stoll has not uh, filled into that role just yet. Looks like they want to throw to the receivers a little bit more, and that's kind of taken a little bit of time to adjust to. But they really still are the better team than the Packers everywhere. Uh, And... I mean, even Aaron Rodgers' quarterback play this year has not been as good as Jalen Hurts. So, I don't think the Eagles have any deficiencies in this game. The real problem is going to be uh, complacency. And other than that, they should win. They're only six and a half point favorites. Uh, I'll take that. And we'll go over 46. Rids picks. Rids is taking the Eagles. Well, as it turns out, that's not the last game of the week. I thought that was the Monday night game, but that's the Sunday night game. The Monday night game features the 3-7 Pittsburgh Steelers on the road at the 4-6-1 Indianapolis Colts. The Steelers are 1-4 on the road. The Colts are 2-3 at home, starting to play better with uh, Jeff Saturday penciled in as the head coach now. But I like the Steelers in this game, and I think with J.J. Watt back in the defense... It's a much bigger problem for the Colts than it would have been otherwise. And they're going to be potentially out Shaquille Leonard, Yannick Ngakwe, DeForest Buckner, and Quitty Pei. I mean, Shaquille Leonard is the only guy who's officially on IR, but that's a lot of guys that could potentially be out. And the Steelers are coming off the game, but they finally scored some points, even though Jer- uh, excuse me, Jalen Warren is out. Najee Harris is starting to get going a little bit. They're kind of playing like a team with nothing to lose. And, man, TJ Watt is such a playmaker that when he plays, I can't not roll with the Steelers in this matchup. They're only 2.5-point underdogs for a reason, over-under, set at 39. So I'm going with the Steelers to win. I told you I needed an upset pick in there somewhere. And I think this is going to be it as the offensive line for the Colts struggles to deal with Watt and let's say under 39 in this game that will do it for me here at the pick'em show I started with that two and one I could have been three and everybody else is three and but I tried to steal that game so I may need to look back over this and try and fish out an underdog pick somewhere I don't know what it's going to be yet Uh, Obviously, the three underdogs on Thanksgiving all lived up to the bill, or at least up to the challenge, and made it a fight for those guys. So, that's it. We're under an hour, but a little bit longer than usual. If you listen to this show, thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate it. Feel free to drop me a line. You can find me on Twitter at Nick Scheisty or at Scheist Podcast, and you can email me at at nickatthescheist.com if you want to do it that way. Uh... So until next time, take care, be well, stay safe, and happy football Sunday. Thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to the episode. I still believe that word of mouth is the best way to help. So if you enjoyed it, please tell somebody. But liking, subscribing, and sharing go a long way too. This show is an extension of theshites.com, and you can contact me at info@theshites.com at or at Shites Podcast on Twitter. And until next time, be well, stay safe, and go Bills.